Mo, come here, buddy. You're going to be in the movies. And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. Faith. It's a big word. Like, really big. All too often, it also seems that it's a word fraught with trouble. Just hear someone talk about their work or business as faith-based and, come on, admit it. You felt it too. Slight raise of the hackles. Because, and again, here's that all too often thing. The word faith is all too often coupled with someone who talks of their belief and in the next breath casts judgment on others. Others whose faith isn't the same as theirs. Oh, the irony. What if your name were faith? Big responsibility, right? It's one that fits today's guest, Faith James. And it's one that she leans into, hard. Faith is one of those colossal energy people whose presence you feel before she even enters the room, in a really good way. It's like feeling a big hug before you're even enveloped in someone's arms. It's good stuff. For this truly faith-based human, judgment is the antithesis of everything she believes, everything she stands for. And that's what we talk about, among other things like leadership, connection, and alligators. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. For the uninitiated, which we're about to, if you, if you're, sit yourselves down, buckle yourselves in, get yourself a nice cup of coffee or a cup of tea, because we're, we're about to drop some awesomeness. Um, I had the great privilege and honor of, of getting to know you, Faith, during, um, my introduction to transformational leadership education, which was a new thing for me. My whole life, I've done all kinds of different, you know, leadership stuff. Um, none of it really stuck. It was kind of data points with no action. And so um, through hardcore leadership, I got a chance to, to meet you. I was a student. You were one of the coaches. And literally from day one, I saw you on the screen. I said, her, that, that lady, that lady. <laughs> Right there, I'll have what she's having, whatever that is. <laughs> right. And um, and boy, when I remember that first converse one-on-one -on -one conversation you and I had, and I um I was not disappointed and continued to be uh it continues to be revelatory. Yeah, um, well, you're my people. I mean, like I saw you and you saw me and I felt you and I was like, oh, and she loves to use a thousand dollar words just like me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here for it. So <laughs> it was effortless. So thank you for seeing me. And, you know, the one thing I always say to anyone, it's just sort of like stay, stay open. Stay open because you don't know from where the blessings will come. You don't know from where the connections, the deep, profound, meaningful connections will come and don't judge anything, right? You know, we talk about that in, in training, don't judge anything. Just, you know, you're, you're noticing and you're observing and, and more importantly, to be like water, to just let it flow. And so our relationship just flowed, our conversations flow 
like water. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you for standing in your leadership and, and taking that leap because you could have been in stories, right? We talk about, you could have been in stories like, oh, she's going to be this, or I'm not her person or whatever. And you didn't let that stop you. And so many people let stories stop them. Well, the stories are powerful and they may or may not be true. We're yeah. going to get to that in a second, but I want to uh, give folks a little bit of context for you first. Um, so advertising, branding, we could look at your resume, you know, the storied brands with yeah. which you've worked and where you've worked. I mean, Ogilvy, McCann, yeah. your yeah. own consultancy, you've worked with major Fortune 500 companies. You know, your your bio reads like a who's who in terms of looking at the brands with which you've yeah. worked. Um, you're an author. You're a motivational speaker. You are a trainer and a coach. You are many, many things. I want to come around to, though, I mean, your name, Faith, because it is such a critical part, actually, of who you are and how you present yourself. And um, I've listened to some of the talks that you've given in cor at corporate events, and you talk about faith. You know, and, and so I'm curious when that began mm. for you and, and where that began to integrate to your day-to-day. Because -day. let's yeah. face it, the, the ex expectation and, and belief of an advertising agency, Ogilvy, mm -hmm. for example, is we're going to sell it to them. They don't even know they need it, but we're going to tell them that they do, whether or not they actually do or not. Mm -hmm. And we're going to create this thing, this aspirational thing, and we're going to move product. Yeah. And that's antithetical to the faith that I know. So tell right. me, tell me about that journey. Wow. So I have to take you back to birth, actually, because my name was literally predicated upon my mom's plea with God for my life. So when I was born at six and a half pounds, I had difficulty breathing. And prior to that, my mom and my dad, who's now, you know, passed, had a very difficult, challenging, um, just noxious, insipid relationship, emotional, physical abuse involved. And so I'm uh, the second of three children. And so when my mom was pregnant with me, she had already had challenges with my dad. And she was just like, why? Literally like, here I am going through the, why am I pregnant again for this man? And she literally wished me dead. She literally was like, I, I don't want this baby to survive. Like she, cause she was like, I got to get away from this man. So here I am entering the earth, six and a half pounds and I can't breathe. And so when she was, when I was delivered and she was holding me, she heard like, uh, like I was struggling. So she like hollers out for the nurse, 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 the baby, she's not breathing. So they whisk me off to ICU. And she says, she hears the voice of God saying, but didn't you tell me to kill your baby? Didn't you tell me to kill your baby? And that's when she negotiated, bargained for my life. She said, God, I know. Yes, I said that, but please let my baby live. Let my baby live. And 
that's how I got my name because she had to really lean on her faith. She had to really lean on, you know, a faith to sustain her that, yes, I'm going to go through it again with this person in this life, but I'm going to trust and have faith that you're going to see me through even with a second child for a man that I do not want to be with. So that's how my name faith. So it's, it's profound. And I write about it in, um, my second book that I was a contributor to, um, you know, in, uh, experts and influencers, the women's empowerment edition, talking about faith plus action equals empowerment, because you're right coming from, uh, an advertising background where it's very much about the profits. It's very much about, you know, moving the products, et cetera. There was not a space, and not that anybody overtly said it, but it was just known and understood. In these walls, you don't talk about religion. You know, it's like you don't mix business and religion. So while I was always a believer, I was not as out <laughs> as I as I was now. And that was a progressive journey. In fact, I talk about the antithesis, right? So I was working for a behavioral science um, behavioral science research firm, and. I had a friend, a really good friend, um, who was also a, a believer. And then another person was high. So it's all like this like secret society. And we joke about this. She said, she said to this other person uh in the in the lunchroom, in the wherever they were, she's like, I, I hear you're friends with a Jewish carpenter. Right? <laughs> like you couldn't dare overtly call on the name of the Lord. Like you're like in code. So so that went on for a while, and gosh, well, I want to you know. I want to um, presence on this though. Mm. So there's religion, and then there's spirituality and faith. There's the patriarchal construct of expectation with dogma, yeah. and you're going to be, you know, God will smite you, and you're born a sinner. Yeah, and I mean, I grew up in a Jewish home, so we didn't have. We didn't have those. We had different kinds of guilt. Yeah, different kinds. We had different kinds. But in the end, you know, you look at the Torah, you look at, you know, Kabbalah, you look at the Bible, regardless of, of which testament, mm -hmm. you look at the Quran, you look at some of these books that were written primarily by men and the, the control elements of them, which in some ways supersede the ultimate purpose and vision of them, really. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so I, mean, I believe that spirituality and faith have a place everywhere. Yeah. But that line, that line, you know, when you use the G word. Yeah. That people have such a reaction to it. I love that you're bringing this up. So let me let me add to this. So recently, I was listening to uh, Wayne Dyer's book, "Change Your Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life," and he's talking about the Tao Te Ching. And in the collection of work, he always sort of brings in a quotation or um, a thought. And I think this was from uh, the the Sufi poet um, Hafiz. I think is his name. Ch double check me. And it says, would it, would it surprise you or would it shock you that he believes that I'm paraphrasing now that in, that he loves everyone that in the temple, in the mosque, in the, in the wherever, because they're calling on 
the one God who has got many names. It's not a different God creator of the universe. It's everybody has their different names. And when you think about it, whether it's Abba or it's Jehovah, it's it's the same one thing. So that's for me what I like to present speak. It's like we get caught up in these things that divide versus focusing the intention and the energy in, well, what unites us? You know, what is it about your belief system and a higher power, whether you call him God or I call him, you know, creator of the universe, in my mind, the way I anchor it, it's the same, it's the same thing. It's sort of like saying dark hair versus brunette. It's the same thing. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. the same thing. So I don't get caught up in the, the the ceremony or the circumstance or the pomp that goes along with, you know, you know, some groups will say, oh, you you, you can't wear certain types of clothing, or if you do that, and I don't get caught up in that. The thing that I get anchored to is of all of the commandments. The this is what Jesus Himself said: the greatest of these is love. And that's all I need. The greatest of these is love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He didn't put a caveat that says, if your neighbor is, um, you know, conservative, then you can love them. But if they're like, you know, a flaming well, liberal, well, love, I them. Mean, Don't I mean, love them. <laughs> well, For me. What you just said, though. And I don't know that the words have ever landed for me this way before. Love thy neighbor as you love thy, yourself. How many people in the world have a fundamental issue in their own self-worth? Therein lies, therein lies the problem. There it is. You know, and um, I know in my own in my own journey, which has been this, like I got strapped to the nose cone of a rocket ship that got catapulted off a launch pad about six months ago. It's like, wait a minute, where am I? Holy shit. All right, buttercup, just buckle up, buttercup, and put on a helmet and get ready for the ride. And so um, I had dinner with a friend on Saturday, someone I've known for a number of years, and um, she's known me through a number of different rotations of my of my life perspective. And I was sharing with her that until I endeavored to really dig into my own leadership work, that my sense of self, my sense of self-worth was so wrapped up in the expectation of what I thought other people expected of me, Mm -hmm. which means I'm trying to change to match wherever I am which ultimately means there's no there there. I was just talking about this on my show this morning. You're basically employing the chameleon strategy, which works for a little bit, but doesn't work as a permanent solution, right? So yeah, it, that's not an uncommon situation, but carry on, tell me. Yeah, so tell me, tell me I'd love where, where I'd love to, so faith is literally part of your makeup from, from the word go. Yeah. And you go into advertising and you're in the hallowed halls and you have your little secret society and you, so you're doing the secret work, kind of just imbuing the work that you do along the way and kind of sprinkling the fairy dust behind the scenes. Tell me about that transitional moment for you. If there was a moment or- Yeah, there is for sure. So 2008, we can all recall, right? 
the most, at least for me personally, devastating like financial collapse in my life, of my life. So I was chief uh, strategy officer at an agency in Minneapolis. And as will happen, you know, the highest paid for us to go, et cetera. So clients were pulling back because everybody was just, you know, really trying to stay afloat. And so I got let go. I was laid off. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, great. So I get to either decide, you know, try to find another job, update my resume, maybe I can start in consulting. So that's when I really first sort of like, you know, got into consulting in any meaningful in any meaningful way. And it was, you know, kind of hit or miss here or there, you know, everybody, whether you were a big agency, small, everybody's just like, you know, circle the wagons, you know, batten down the hatches. So now it's reality check, trying to consult uh, a few gigs here and there. And it was just getting to the point where I was under such stress and such duress every morning waking up, where am I going to get another gig? And I remember just so clearly it was one um, Sunday Normally, because I'm out partying in the streets because I'm living this like fabulous life, I'm not up at 6, 6.30 watching anything. But for some reason, I was up, I flipped the television on, it was Joel Olstein, just like on randomly. And he was talking about this story of this little girl and her dad who they would t- go to the train station and wherever they were going. And then when the dad would see the train coming, he'd hand her the ticket and then Tuesday, same thing. By Wednesday, she's like, dad, why don't you just give me all of the tickets? Because we do the same thing every day. The moral of the story, the message from the sermon was God is going to provide for you every day. He's not going to give you everything all at once as we would like want it. And when I thought about the prayer, uh, give us give us today our daily bread. He didn't say, give, give me today my annual lump sum. And to have the faith and the understanding that if he can feed the ravens of the sky and send food to them when they need, he's going to take care of you. Just trust and believe and have faith. You're going to be okay. Even though you can't see it, you see this looming house that's about to fall on top of you. So the second, the second sermon was from Dr. Charles Stanley and he was talking about having idols in our lives. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's so for me because like my house and my credit score or literally like I would do anything legal to maintain my good credit score and my home. So I just felt like, wow, those were really for me. I, I've never done this before. I stroked two checks for $25 each to both mail it off. And I decided at that point, Kathy, I had to put the house on corporate leasing because I couldn't afford I had to be honest with myself. I couldn't afford it. I wasn't making enough in consulting to, to carry that. So corporate leasing, I had a, a, a leasing company that I was looking for this guy, couldn't find his information. The minute I wrote those two checks, I found it. So I was like, okay, whatever. I didn't think too much on that. Anyway, find him. He comes to the house at seven. We signed the lease paper. He says, he calls me back at 7.30 and says, I have a woman who's been looking. She doesn't want any water, but I'm going to bring her. And now I haven't mentioned to you, my house is 5,000 square foot on a lake with a big pool and a big ass water feature. So three different bodies of water. He brings this woman to my house the next morning. I leave, you know, to give them space. An hour, two hours go by. I'm calling like, can I come home? He's like, no, she's still here. I was offering a one-year lease. She signed for two years. Her husband was nowhere to be found. She just signed it. She loved it so much. Look, all I did was sign over $50 and God gave me back a two-year lease when I was only asking for one. 
So then when we moved from Minneapolis to Florida, we went to Tallahassee. I said, okay, I get to find a church home because clearly God just said, look, you just gave me a measly 50 bucks. Look what I just did for you. Meanwhile, people have said to me, your house is an executive home. It's going to be on the market for six months to a year. Only a certain group of people can rent that. In less than 24 hours, my house was leased for two years. So I go to Tallahassee and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to find a church home. I, you know, I get to be a little bit more bold. I, get, I see now when I take a step forward to God, he'll come rushing into you. We know that from scripture. So I put three churches on the list and I go to visit the first one. Kathy, get ready. Audience, get ready. It's a Methodist church, small, like small, like there are no pews, like the chairs move, they're folding chairs, small. So I'm such in the seeking of, you know, a relationship because I know I get to have a better life than just what I've been doing on my own. And I hear the pastor, who was a female pastor, by the way, I heard her say something. All I heard, Kathy, was communion. So I pop up and I look around and I see only a handful of people. And, and so in my judginess, I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like they don't take communion, right? Anyway, I keep walking up to the front. There's a woman standing in the pew about to step into the, the aisle. She's like, oh, did you want to serve? And Kathy, I said, yes, I have no understanding of, because in that moment, I'm realizing the pastor called for the communion servers. She sat down. These Remember, nobody in this church has ever seen me a day in their life. She sat down. I proceed to walk up to face the pastor with everybody else. She hands me the chalice with the blood of Christ. The first day I go seeking for a relationship with God, I am serving the blood of Christ. So then I turn around and here come the full church and they're dipping and the blood of Christ saves you and the blood of Christ redeems you. And I'm having this outer body experience. So when the sermon was done, everything, I went up to her and to the pastor and I apologized. I said, I said, I am so sorry. I did not mean to do, I thought you called for a community. And she's like, don't worry about it. She said, I knew God was doing a work. So I said, nothing. Mm. They've never seen me a day in their life mm. and let me serve. So that for me was like my clear moment of you get to do this now. And you get to bring it forward into your other work. Uh, th then that I was unleashed. Right. <laughs> well, we know yeah. we know, know how unleashed goes. So, yeah, one yeah. of the things that I um, I appreciate about you. So, and and I and I want to dig into this a little bit because one of the things, one of the reasons um, for this show to exist, for my work to exist, for my new journey to exist, is the um, I'm tired of I'm tired of the friction. I'm tired of um, the anger, the othering, the making people wrong in order to be right. Mm -hmm. And um, look, we are a we are a tribal species. We are designed to live in tightly knit, hierarchically based clusters called families of choice mm -hmm. or of origin, whichever. Yeah. Both, if if one is blessed, you have both. And. You know, each of these circles in which we live, our community, our families, our church, our synagogue, our mosque, our office, our work, our gym, our community, there are these clusters where we live. And there will be naturally friction between 
groups when they maybe bump up against each other, um, whether it be for resources or beliefs or what have you. And and I'm I'm tired of the way that's happening, that if I disagree with you, I must hate you and make you wrong. So what would you say to to this idea? Like, so I because I, I I'll I'll be on, I don't think I've ever told you this. So when I when I first encountered some of your faith and the way you bring your faith forward, my immediate almost visceral reaction was a oh wait, uh, like I, I, I felt like every fiber of my body kind of tense and it's like, oh wait, is this a Christian cult that I've just joined for leadership training? And what's that going to mean? And maybe I don't belong here and they're not going to like me or our beliefs aren't. And I leaned in and got to know you and it turns out we believe all the same things anyway. So, yeah. so I guess what would you say to um, how to navigate that knowing that when the words come out of your mouth, that there's someone in the room, it might be one person, might be all, whatever, who are going to have that visceral reaction. And then how do you lean into that? Wow. So, so big. Um, and my, my simple answer will be, I focus on my come from, what is my intention? What is my intention? So Though I am very big and unabashed and unleashed and un, you know, apologetic about my belief, I don't take it to this point that I then go and say, and if you don't believe what I believe, then you will be burning in hell. Because one of the things that I use to, to guide every single thing that I do is the knowledge that I am not the judge. I am not the judge of people. My only command is to love people. And if I see somebody quote unquote doing something that maybe I wouldn't do, I don't get to judge them. That is not my role. Evidence Jesus when they're like, oh, here comes this woman. She was sleeping with um, you know, another man that wasn't her husband. Let's kill her. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. The first among you who have not sinned, you throw the first stone. If that isn't an example of the way to be, then I don't know what is. My only religion is the human race. We come from the same one creating source. I don't care who speaks what language and what they do and what food. So that's what anchors me. That's what allows me just to go through because I come from the knowing. I'm not the judge. Yeah, maybe you saw something that said, oh, this is wrong. It's still not yours to judge. For me, I am a citizen of the world. My religion is the human race. Period. Done. End of story. I focus on what it is that I'm here to do. You know, I like to say I take the, the doctor's creed, do no harm. So even as I'm saying my truth, because I get to be authentically me and this is who I am, even as I'm being in my authenticity, I don't get to do any harm to others around me. So I allow space for people to be knowing I am not the judge. I was not sent here as a judge. I am not the Lord of death. I don't get to decide who lives and who gets this. Or I am just on this planet as one of the humans spreading love to the best of my ability. Anything else, it's not my pay grade, higher pay grade than mine. I love that. 
So there's a question that I ask all of my guests, and often I, I start the conversation with it. Um, interestingly, uh, this conversation is very similar to another that I had recently where we we basically dove into the deep end of the pool right away, <laughs> right, right, very away. Deep right away. So uh, we were we were about halfway through and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so I get to ask you this question. When I say to you, tell me a formative, impactful, or influential memory in your life that involves an animal, mm. what comes to mind? Wow. Uh, well, I'll tell you one that's recently uh, occurred, and it's with the alligators. So I live in South Florida, and I have had several unrational fear of uh, frogs, lizards, uh, anything sort of like cold-blooded reptilian. I've just like, I judged it as no good. So on my morning walks, I've been listening to Wayne Dyer and this, you know, whole notion of, you know, God is in the nature. And, and when you look at nature, you can take away so many lessons from how to be, how to be that even in a tree that seems to be on the, on the surface, it looks like it's stuck and it's not really, it can only go up in one direction. But the, the quote said something like, even the trees, like they dance every day. And I was just like, wow right? Be like nature, dance or wave your hand, be so fully expressed. So one of the do the Tao things was like, be in awe of one of God's, you know, creatures. It was like, you know, whether it's a dog or a cat or the, and I was like, why don't I do the owl? Cause I am like, so, I'm all, I'm like on the, but, but, uh, what do you call that? The $6 million man with the binoculars, the bionic eyes. I'm like always scanning the, the, the ponds, the lakes, looking for alligators. I don't know what happened, Kathy, but every morning now I'm looking forward to seeing the alligator because I, I, I'm seeing the alligators now through different lens. I'm seeing the alligators as God's creatures that just imagine the awe that they've been around for, I don't know, how many hundreds of millions of years. And, and this creature that is so beautiful when you really understand and focus on it. Now I'm literally, my mind said, I'm coming, baby. Like, how do you go from like, oh, these things and fear them? Listen, don't get me, if, if, the, if it came close, of course, I'd still be running, but I don't have this like irrational fear. So that has just opened up for me a lesson of this is why you don't get to, this is why you don't get to judge anyone. This is how you can see, you can learn you can transform your way of being from everything that God's created, that everything, even the animals, you know, even like the little ants, even the everything. If you really stop and figure out like this is an awesomeness situation happening right, happening right here. How are these creatures here? How do they know? They have this knowing and they can't speak. You can learn and adopt so many beautiful ways of being from the animals. So my big profound like aha shift from like deadly fear to now awesome respect my Florida gators in my in my neighborhood pond. Now, did you have uh, any pets in the house when you were growing up? I did. My dad had. Oh my gosh, we had Dobermans. I have a love for Doberman. I have a love for dogs. Period. 
my dad at one point we had like 13 dogs in the house and this is in jamaica so he would have german shepherds and dobermans and we just loved all things dogs like they were he would cook their dog food like he wouldn't just buy he would like literally make it and um yeah I, I have a great love and a great you know affinity for for dogs and now my own personal dog fancy she's an Italian greyhound is the little love of my life now what is your earliest memory of those dogs when you were when you were little um I remember my brother this one's not such a great one that my brother um jumped on the back of one of the dogs. It, it could have been one of the Dobermans. And he like whipped around and like snapped him in his, in his, in his stomach. So, but that, I don't think that that caught, well, I think, what do I know? It didn't cause any real long-term damage or fear of it. We, you know, we were just like, well, of course you're being silly. You're, you know, you know, roughhousing with him and he's got to protect his space. So that was my earliest memory. But I think just remembering, um, just, just having them around. And it was like, not really a home without, you know, a lot of dogs roaming around. You know, it's interesting that you relate that story with your, with your brother, um, because the, the immediately, the immediate thought that I had based on what you were explaining was your complete lack of judgment of the dog. Mm. True. Yeah. Just yeah. a dog being a dog, protecting yeah. its boundaries, a dog standing for itself, a child being a child, like a young boy being yeah. a young boy. Um, but you relate it with with no judgment. What do you what do you think about that perspective? That's really interesting because now that you bring that it's really that's why I said that I don't think it marred me. I mean, I I mean, I'm always, you know, looking at, oh, this one's so cute. We could adopt another puppy um because our fancy now we got her from rescue when we were in Minneapolis. But yeah, no, I think lessons to be learned, right? Lessons to be learned from right? We talk about the event is neutral. So, okay, you got bit by the dog. It was a new, that's a neutral event. Doesn't make the dog bad. That dog's just being a dog and you're just being a, you know, a kid who's just free and willing to be courageous and, and, and take chances in life. And he didn't blame the dog either. Like he healed and, you know, he was still, you know, lover of dogs. And, you know, we didn't label like, oh, Doberman, you know, they're vicious or they're like, it was just like, these are our dogs. So I love that. That's, yeah, we can learn so much from the animals around us. I, and I, I think I said this to you before we were in the green room, but I really love your tagline. I just think that, and, and, and why is it right? Because they, sh they see you with unconditional eyes. They give you the unconditional love because they see the truth of humans. They, they, they understand that to be true. And if we could somehow see that and get closer to the person that would evoke such a response, be the person that would evoke that response, I think we have so much beautiful work to do as, as humans, but the dogs already know it. They, they, they're, they're showing you what it could be like. My dogs are regularly smarter than I am. So <laughs> there's often that. Uh, yeah, I would love that. So leadership. Um, when you look at the world today, whether it be corporate leadership, govern governmental 
leadership. Um, you know, I, having gone through leadership training myself and people that we are all leaders, the, the truth is of any operational structure, not everybody can be a quote unquote sure. leader because if yeah. everyone's at the front, nobody's doing the work. And so yeah. you need people doing roles. And what I've come to realize is that leadership merely means each individual living to the greatest of their own potential, whatever that looks like. Some people have different roles, different levels, but that they, they get to aspire to and realize the, that 10 out of 10 level of what what they may be, be doing in the world. When you look at the world around you today and you see the way leadership is being exploited. The word exploited is what keeps coming to mind for some, I don't, and I don't know why that word. I think it's because people are um, taking advantage of position and, and not perhaps operating from a place of uh, good intention, that they're operating from a place of ego or they're operating from a place of fear. What are your thoughts about the way leadership gets to transform and what it means to be an individual who has taken the charge to be part of making that transformation possible. So I love that because I think for me, and, and, and I just believe this to be a personal truth, that the, the female energy, the yin, gets to be so much more infused in leaders of all walks of life, gender, whatever. Not saying it has to be female, but the energy that nurturing. So when you think about the power that the feminine has to bring life, nurture life, I mean, if you were to see the life of a child as sort of like a corporate journey, right? So from startup, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> your startup is like this one week old baby. Am I, am I allowed to make a joke about seed investment? Yes. Go, go, go. <laughs> So every corporation starting with a seed investor, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a seed investor. I love it. And taking it into, you know, an established corporation. So now you're what? You're in high school. You're, you're you know, going off to college. Then you're graduating. You're getting a master, whatever it might be. Then you're like, quote unquote, you know, selling the company. Now they're off on their own. When you think about the role that, the feminine energy plays to go through all of those trials and tribulations, to go through those micro stages. And it comes from caring and compassion that I think compassion as an element, as a virtue is missed across so many forms of leadership. It's this idea that uh, as a leader, I get to be in my you know, my yang energy of being powerful and dominant. And I forget where I saw the study recently, but that corporations that have a female, you know, either at the helm or on the board outperform corporations that are male dominant. This is not a male bashing thing. I'm just coming with the receipts and the facts. These are the facts. And so that way of being of compassion, of having grace, of having mercy, of seeing the human versus, you know, cogs in a wheel of my machine that you get to make this thing go faster, faster, faster is, I'd say, probably one of the big reasons that you've got this, you know, we talk about like the great resignation happening right now. 
where people are like, to hell with it. This wasn't the dream that I thought I was signing up for. Anyway, I might as well try my own luck in open waters and try to fish for myself. So you have, before it was the gig economy where it was just like, you know, side hustle freelancers. Now wholesale people are just like, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to erect my own, you know, brick and mortar, my own little lemonade stand and, and give it a go. Cause what do I got to lose? Like, this isn't it like this working this, you know, 80, 90 hours being abusive. I mean, I've been in situations where I'll tell you one story from Ogilvy and this is a, a male, um, creative director and I was assigned. So IBM was my account and I was assigned the role of way before they started officially saying diversity, whatever. I was assigned the role uh, to ensure that the work that we were producing for IBM reflected diversity and inclusiveness. So again, long before these, this became like a, a big thing now. And I remember one creative director, like literally on top of the conference table, like shoes on top of the conference table standing, jumping, yelling, screaming, I don't have time for your diversity issues. And so when you think about, that's just one micro moment, you know, rather, rather take the more sort of compassionate and nurturing way of being a leader, because he was, whatever he said goes as far as the creative that we produced, to say, is there any way that we can do this? Because we really want the essence of the work to do blah, blah, blah. Or talk to me about why this, you feel like this doesn't represent rather than it was just this, like, I am dominating. I'm I literally towering over you. I'm going to climb on the freaking conference room table and start and tower to show you how I'm going to lead. And so that's just one example. But I just, I just say that to say, if we can just come from a place of compassion, understanding, grace, and mercy, like a mom who's got to raise kids who's got to push a kid out and then raise it and then, and then, and turn it into, you know, an intellectually curious, viable member of society. There's so many lessons to be learned from that feminine energy, that way of being. So yeah, leadership, you know, you know, they say absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of course correction that gets to happen. You bring up the yin and the yang, which is interesting um, because when you truly look at a yin-yang, that line between the darkness and light is not a clean, sharp, wide swath. It is um, chalky and porous, first of all. And then when you look at each side, you look at the dark, you look at the light, there is a presentation in each side of the opposite. Right. You know, yes. that, that there in, in all of us, um, I um, don't typically watch much television, um, certainly don't watch much news, air quotation mark, programming, mm -hmm. um, and and absolutely avoid the panel discussion shows because they're either, you know, completely on the right side, completely on the left side. And if it's a left side and they've got a right side person, they're beating on them and vice versa. And it's just, it's a mess. The other day I was, uh, a friend of mine was listening to um, a Bill Maher program and there was a woman speaking and I was convinced that she was a right-wing ultra-conservative the way she was talking about women. Turned out, not the case. She's a former mm -hmm. writer for The New Yorker. I mean, this is someone who has written for some of the more liberal bastions of, you know, liberal elitist um, media over the years. And, um, you know, talking about 
um, that men are bigger and stronger and that women are. And I was like, my God, are you setting back the women's movement, you know, 50 years? Like, why don't you just, you know, instead of being on this panel show, why don't you just go home and be in the kitchen popping out babies since that seems to be. Right. And, and then I started really listening to what she was saying and kind of digging down and realizing that a lot of what she was saying was because she was on TV and okay. doing a little search of what she was saying, um, that there are differences that should be celebrated and that the idea of gender complete neutrality is a fallacy in nature. Like there, there, are, there are genders that exist. There is fluidity between them and that it is that fluidity that it makes it so magical and that in the presentation of one side is the other and some are closer to the median line so the presentation does perhaps seem quote-unquote neutral but it's not actually neutral it's completely integrated hmm. yeah i think it's the yeah it's the energy right so it's not it so the the idea of oh whether the person you know overtly presents as female and wears makeup it, it not not the point right it's what is that energy that says nurturing comes as paramount you know that allowing growth from a place of love and caring and consideration so it's the ways of being like I could care less what the what the person looks like um could care less what they identify with but it's the ways it's the ways of being of the yin energy that says because you could have a male who absolutely is in his feminine energy of his ways of being of hearing conversations i want to hear kathy what you have to say about x y and z i mean ultimately i'm going to be the final arbiter because that's the position that i sit in but i want to hear from you i'm going to let you and the team do x y and z and why don't you report but right taking in other voices and melding it into one final decision. So that's sort of where I, I was really going with the, the the yin and the yang. So it's really the energy. It's not necessarily um, how people look or or identify, but the ways of being. What are the core traits of being uh, in yin energy from a leadership standpoint? And yeah, there are going to be days in certain situations where you're probably going to lean one way more than the other. I always like to use the university example when you go to a university, right? You take many classes, but you declare a major and you declare a minor, even though mixed in there are some liberal arts and some television production and desktop publishing. But where do we sit, you know, the major minor? So I do believe that there is... Uh, there's so much more that you can, you know, accomplish when you come from mercy and compassion as a leader versus it's my way or the highway. This is what I say, you know, the devil wears Prada and go get me my coffee.